Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Welcome everyone to Deep Drinks Podcast. Tonight we have a very special episode. Uh, well, it's actually today for most of the people watching, but for me it's tonight and that's that's different because normally I'm drinking alcohol at like 10 in the morning on a Saturday, but tonight we're drinking non-alcohol at night, which is good. So I have a few quick announcements before we get into it. If you are listening to this in the future um, on a podcasting app, you can engage in these conversations if you want if you go to youtube.com slash deep drinks. So, and also if you do like listening instead of watching, you can listen on podcasting apps. We're on Spotify, Apple um, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything. It's all there. We've got all the episodes, and this episode will be uploaded later today. So, without further ado, I'd like to mention who we have on today's um, show, which is Derek, who's the host of Derek Lambert, who is the host of the wildly popular Myth Vision podcast. Is over 50,000 subscribers, and he has over a 1,000 videos. He interviews experts on religion, mythology, philosophy, and everything in between. Um, Derek was a born-again Christian who lost his faith amid his rehabilitation from heroin addiction. So, like, I, I, I really that, that, that sounds harrowing, and I really want to learn about what that process was like. But not only that, but Derek has also interviewed an incredibly large amount of people. Like I said, he has over a 1,000 videos many with different perspectives on core points of biblical scholarship. With so many perspectives, um, I'm interested to see what Derek thinks about some of the big questions in current religious discourse. So with that said, I'd like to welcome Derek from Myth Vision Podcast. Welcome, Derek. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Everybody in the chat is a god. Thanks for showing up, seriously. Uh, well, this is um, this is going really well so far. We've got um, uh, we've got twenty four viewers, which is awesome, and um, yes. we've actually been tr- we've actually been trying to do this for a long while, Derek. So Derek was actually supposed to be the first guest on um, Deep Drinks podcast, and then you know we we just could never make it work. But we finally got you here, and it's so good to see you, man. It's so good to finally get you here to talk about your journey. Um, and so what we normally do when we start this is we normally talk about what we're drinking. So what are we drinking, um, Derek? Got to have a Starbucks. <clears throat> yeah. See, when you're a god, you got to drink your Starbucks. Then you got to go sit on the throne for like 15 minutes, you know, and then you're good to go. That's pretty much what happens with me. Yeah. So if we have to duck out um, for 15 minutes mid-show... <laughs> We apologize. We'll try and be in sync. But I'm it, for me, it's 1 a.m. and I'm drinking a large coffee here in Australia, which you know what? It's uh it's different. It's different to being drunk at 5 a.m. on a Saturday. So um that's good. And it, it it actually your drink of choice actually plays in a little bit into your story, um, doesn't it, Derek? Where you know, obviously you're clean and sober. How many how long have you been clean and sober for now? October the 25th, um, I will have seven years off of heroin. And I was, I had a beer in the midst of my run with heroin. But as far as like blackout, drunk, active in addiction with alcohol, it's probably been eight or nine years since I've had a drink. And um, I'm a blackout drunk, you know, type of person. So 
I it's know, always yeah. good news when I'm not drinking. <laughs> well, that that is Thank fucking you, man. awesome, man. Like that's that's so good to hear. Um, it's, I always you know, tease I people and tell them like when I go to a public place, they're like, "Hey, you want to drink?" And because it's odd to like say no thanks or whatever. And I'm like, I'm yeah. actually allergic, and they're like, "You're allergic to alcohol?" Like, Absolutely. Every time I drink, I break out in handcuffs, and then they're like. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's not give this guy any alcohol, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, it's actually, I've heard, uh, I've heard another one, um, where it's like, um, I mean, I'm allergic to it. Um, when I have one, I can't stop and I can't stop having more than more than one or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to get, get into this a little bit, like just get deep, dive, dive deep into it because well, actually, I'd love to dive deep into it because, um, I know in rehab and in AA meetings and NA meetings, they talk about the second step. I think it's the second step where it's, you know, you know submitting to a higher power. Right. And there are some blokes who, you know, I've been to AA meetings and NA meetings before in my life and my father was an alcoholic and things like that. And I, I some blokes will say, I remember one, one guy, he had a, um, he had a, um, his, his God was a, as it was a truck. And, and the reason it was a truck is right. because he could drive past 14 bottles every day and not go into one of them. And he says that was his higher power, um, but as you know, most people, most people, uh, you know, through through the AA program and a program, don't end up making it. Um, and and the the thing that people used to always say when I was a believer is it's the people who really believe in God that helps them get through that or gets through the higher power. So I'd like to just like, I guess we, I guess let's first start quickly with what kind of a Christian you you were, and then we can move into you. Be, becoming addicted and, and how you got addicted to drugs and then eventually how you escaped that. Oh, the kind of Christian I was, was like any average, I'd say Southern type of Christian. I mean, instead of being a Baptist, I was more into the gifts of the spirit because um, my mom used to like bribe me to go to church with uh, yeah. all you can eat buffet. And I'm an eater and I'd go wasn't really into it, but I picked up stories when I would be in like the children's area or whatever. But when I'd go with her in the main area, sometimes, cause I didn't want to go, I just lay on her lap and go to sleep. It was so boring. Like it literally was that boring. I mean, it really, really it was. And I didn't care about it, but you know, mom was a Christian. Uh, dad was a Roman Catholic. He wasn't really a practicing Catholic. He was just kind of the guy who's like, you know, whenever I see the priest, I'll say, you know, forgive me. Um, but like it was when I was 10 or 11, I was playing baseball and I never play catcher. I'm usually shortstop or pitcher or something like that. I was playing catcher and a ball bounced underneath, uh, bounced underneath my gonads. And uh, I was experiencing extreme pain. So a guy passing by uh, was like, hey, he ran to the local fire station, got some ice, brought it back, helped me out. We became friends. I'm kind of blasting through this to give you what happened. No, and, give uh, us the, yeah, go as deep as you want. You can take as much time as you want as well. Like, well, I, I have to because we, okay. we do have <laughs> ninety minutes, and I must admit, yeah. it gets really complex. I'll probably need to write a book about this at some point. But please do. I, I ended up helping him clean his house because the guy is like doing chores at his house, and we ended up, you know, clicking. And he's like, "Hey, come to the church with me." Um, so I went to church with the guy. I had no problem with that, and that's when I, you know, started to hear or get into. Um, Christianity somewhat, but I was at a private school when the pastor was teaching about lying and sin and how, have you ever told a lie? And 
yeah, you remember that lie? Like really making you psychologically think about that bad thing that you did. Well, if you've told that lie, you've told another lie. And what they really sold you on is that all those wrong things that you've done are still there. Like they make you believe that those actions still are accountable on you because they're things you've done before. But don't worry because this is kind of them. I mentioned this in a recent video. They're kind of selling you this disease. But like, yeah. well, you didn't know you have the, this, this disease. I'm pointing out like you were born and you're in this corruptible flesh in your center. And they gave me a guilt, guilt trip as a kid in sixth grade. Created so, sick, commanded to be sound. Exactly. And I ended up going down and I accepted Jesus that day at the altar. And I felt something like very mm -hmm. powerful experience in my stomach. I had a warm sensation. I felt like I found it. I'm home. I can't tell you how many times I've felt like I found it in my life, by the way. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was that moment that I remember. I'll never forget. And I started to really take Jesus seriously. We relocated to Puerto Rico. We didn't go to church in Puerto Rico. We lived on a base in Ceiba, which is near Fajardo. For those who don't know, it's about an hour from San Juan on the east coast, on the east side of uh, Puerto Rico. My dad was stationed there. He was special forces in the military. And so we're, we're you know, just living life as kids, playing truth or dare with the girls, finding, figuring things out about what it's like, you know. And I'm, you know, I finally lose my virginity as a, you know, yeah. teenager, 13, 14 was, years old. Was um, hide and seek there a euphemism or is it was like we actually no, like legit. We played with girls oh, okay. hide and go seek. And what the point was, like when you're hiding, <laughs> you find the girl and she finds you and, you, you know, and like, but you, oh, you to be really, young, <laughs> but we really were playing a game, yeah. but it was like a game included yeah. also figuring out the birds yeah. and the bees. And like, we would yeah. do this stuff and truth or dare and all that. We really did those things. And, um, I got my heart broken because the girl cheated on me, uh, with a guy who was like a bully in the high school and all that. So I was like, you know what? Screw that. When I get back to North Carolina, because we were relocating back here, you know what? I'm going to be this man whore. I'm going to go around and I'm just going to sleep with everybody. I'm going to show her. And I came back and I got really, really devoted into the Bible and Christianity and like got serious about it. And I didn't, I said, no girls, you know, I had drank alcohol a little when I was, you know, kid, we'd get drunk occasionally. We'd sneak the alcohol from dad. And so, so, so I just need to get that. So you went from, I'm going to sleep with everyone I can to Jesus. actually, I'm going to be really devoted to the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, okay. All right. That's, yeah. And that's I would an go into extremes my whole life has yep. been extremes so yeah. i got really serious about it and committed and i was like no nah, you know what i found uh, i found satisfaction in this religious worldview and I i'm gonna paint this picture as we go on how this goes back and forth and what i think is going on now looking back so i'm serious and i'm going to church and this church is a king james version onlyist like that's the word of god um, yeah. If not, then why did God allow it to make it this far down here to give to us? It's yeah. got to be God's there was, word. There was no Bible before 1611. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, who cares about the Greek manuscripts? Um, <laughs> God made sure he preserved his word, and we got it. Um, it was a woman pastor, 
we spoke in tongues. We believed in the spirit, like gifts of the spirit and the Holy Spirit. We believed that you needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, which meant the evidence for being baptized in the Holy Spirit came with the gift of tongues and prophecy and other things. So if you weren't showing those gifts or you were acting like that was only for the first century, well, then you're kind of saying the Holy Spirit was only meant for the first century. So yeah. we weren't accepting that. We were we were definitely believing in miracles and demon possession. We would have days where we'd cast out demons on people. Like it was kind I'm of nodding nice. because I'm nodding because this is all similar. I used to have really strong uh concerns that my wife had never spoken in tongues before. And I was like, Well, you've got to be baptized of the water and the spirit, and that's the sign. And I used to like I didn't pressure her, but I felt I had this internal like, oh, oh, this isn't good. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you're i i kind of feel bad i just relate i just i just relate to it so much and other people are saying that same thing in in the chat um thanks yeah. thanks so much i relate to this recovery after different thing yeah so it's, it's 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 keep going it gets juicier trust me don't go anywhere <laughs> and make sure you subscribe for real subscribe um i there were times where i pressure my wife into making her feel like she's not saved without this yeah. you know there was times where i'd like push it on her and she'd go this is so weird honey like no this is not normal this is weird and i'd be like <sighs> it's not it's god it's a spit you know and i was really convinced i believed it well i remembered girls and i remember bonfires with a few drinks and like enjoying life and not being such a religious dogmatic monk in high school you know like i legit was trying to be separate, separated from the world, but I'm also in a high school with a Bible at lunch, reading my Bible, the only kid in high school who's legitimately reading a King James Version only Bible in high school. And I get a lot of compliments. You're a good looking guy. Like, what are you doing? You should be dating. You should be like yeah. talking to girls. And I'd be like, um, we don't have tomorrow. Yeah. You know, like, oh. like I mean, like legit sold that the end is near. Yeah, I, I whipped out a magazine Bible at school and, and said, look at this, Matthew 24. And I was like, rumors of wars and rumors of like, and I and I did the whole thing and I saw the looks on my friend's face. They were like, damn, there are wars and there is famine in various places. And, and I got a few of them to come to youth group because of that. I was pretty, yeah, but man, it's so similar. They called me Captain Christian. Oh, and can you believe that men are prideful? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> That's evidence that we're in the last days, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it, I believed it. I really did. And I had mm -hmm. dreams about the rapture and the end of the world, fire come down from heaven, like scary dreams where I woke up crying and I was serious. And there was one dream when that fire happened. And then like, I closed my eyes at the last second cause I knew I was going to die. And I was like, Jesus. And then I opened my eyes. And I turn and there's this man with a feathered pin with his head turned away from me like I am you writing. And he's like, Derek, everything's going to be okay. Ooh, that's freaky. That's scary. And I was just like, and I knew I'm okay. It's going to be okay. He's got me. Like, you know, oh, like man. I really had vivid imagination yeah. about everything. And there are Christians, I can guarantee you, fundamentalists that would watch this right now and go, they really, I'm not making this up. I'm absolutely telling you, this is what really happened. These are the dreams I really had. But the point is, even after all of this experience, I could tell somebody this. And you being someone who's probably not drinking the Kool-Aid, I'll call it. Someone who is, is going to go, Derek, I can interpret that dream. 
and I can tell you the true meaning. Like there are people who do this to this yeah. day, try to psychoanalyze yeah. or try to convince me that that was real and it's really coming mm. and you're, you're someone special. You're chosen as an atheist. Mm. They do this still. And they'll be like, you're still yeah. a Christian. You don't even know it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, anyway, yeah. so I'm like all about this, but then I also feel like I'm missing out. I'm missing out on something that I feel completely drawn toward naturally. And so I started to go to bonfires again. And I didn't want to commit into too many serious like relationships. So I was just trying to have fun and enjoy it. And I'm hooking up with, I went through this phase where I'd call it no strings attached phase, where it's just having fun, meeting a few girls. And um, I met my wife, which at that time I was just like, yeah, she's cute. Look at this. Man, you no know, strings she, attached. No <laughs> strings attached. It's, you know, this, I'm skipping quite a few relationships here. But I'm yeah, making yeah. the point, and I'm skipping some years, but I'm making the point like I'd go back and forth, back to Jesus, and then back to drinking and the bonfires and enjoying having fun and then what comes normal and natural, what yeah. feels right. And But then I'd have how, to come how, back. How old were you about this time when you met your wife? Uh, I was 16, 17-ish, oh, wow. 16, 17-ish. I think, yeah, 17 maybe. I am um, a senior in my first first half of senior year in high school. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try and get in her pants, you know, like whatever. <laughs> well, hey, she wouldn't yeah. let me. And I was like, hold on, I got to work harder. Like this isn't usually this difficult to try and have fun. Like what the heck? <laughs> I fell in love with her. Like I legit fell in love with uh, her and she was authentic. And it was like, okay, this is, this is good. Like I'm, I'm happy. And I got her pregnant. And since I got her pregnant, I did the good Jesus thing, right? It's a little backwards. I, you know, justified it in my head. Like, well, you know, like in my mind, I'm supposed to get married, then have kids. Well, I got her pregnant and I'm a man of God. So I need to like marry her, solidify it, raise my kids, have like seven or eight more like Abraham, you know, and try yeah. and uh, repopulate you the need, earth, be fruitful and multiply, right? You need that white picket fence. Like you got to have it. Yeah. Exactly. And I was trying. I was like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. But then I wanted to enjoy partying again. And at this point, I was smoking weed. Um, it wasn't just alcohol. I was popping ecstasy pills on occasion to, to experience that and had a blast rolling every once in a while. And if you've never done it, then you just can't relate, I, I, I must admit. But there's not words you can really put together. To, to describe it. But anyway, I went through this phase and then I got so caught up doing this stuff that I had to stop. Like I had to quit. And in the back of my mind, I was always a Christian. It was never like I was this and then I wasn't a Christian. I would get guilty. And I knew from reading my Bible and studying that like I was doing wrong, but I was still a Christian. The worldview still had its grips on me. And I was pretty popular in high school. So this, this little like going back and forth between alcohol, partying, and Jesus and the Bible became a really difficult thing because when I'd go down that path of alcohol and partying and doing other things, I would get to a point where it would be harming. It would actually start to inflict harm on my body, my health, and things like that. So I'd realize I got to get right with Jesus again. I got to get right with God. Mm. And so 
I'm failing my senior year in high school. And I go in there and I finally say, I'm failing. I'm not doing good. I got to pull myself out. Can I come back and finish next semester and not let this, not let this semester ding me? Yes, you need to get your life together, Derek. And you can come and finish. So I came back to the next semester, absolute Jesus freak. I mean, like I am reading my Bible in every single class and I'm passing every single class. I'm in, um, I'm in algebra. I'm in, I'm sorry, pre-calculus. And, and, and I'm like flying through this class and reading my Bible, like somehow doing mm. both. I mean, I'm on fire, but while I read mm. the Bible, I literally was there. I was there when he made Adam and Eve and saw like my imagination again. I saw mm. how he did it. And then I was there when the flood came and I saw how that happened. And then I, then I was on the mountain of God with Moses when he got the Ten Commandments. And I was watching as he was passing by the cleft of the rocks between both of the rocks and saw God's back parts. I didn't know he saw his ass, but, you know, like I didn't think that's what that meant. <laughs> but now I'm like, OK, well, something's going on here um, <laughs> now looking back. But I really was there with the children of Israel as they went through these trials and, and exile and coming back. And I was there when Elijah calls fire down from heaven, at Samson with the jawbone of an ass. The Bible came to life for me. Mm. And I'd reread it and I'd cry reading it. I'd mm. like get into the stories and then hear about the, the something that happened that was really deep and intense. And I had this really sensitive feeling about something that was going on when someone would repent and God would send blessings or something would happen, I'd, for some reason I'd get so into it. And I, I really remember my Bible reading it from Genesis to revelation. Now, when it got to the new Testament, the story just dropped to me. Christians are Christians because of the new Testament and Jesus, the story itself just was not impressive. It was confusing oh, to me. That was the opposite. I can never get into the Old Testament. To me, it was all just boring, and I could never remember anyone's names or, or cared. But the New Testament, and especially Acts, was just incredible, and the Gospels yeah. and things. Wow, that's interesting. I, I don't know what it was. The, the, the Hebrew Bible had a much more vivid narrative to me and just kind of painted this bigger, broader picture. And the New oh. Testament repeated itself. Of course, you're reading multiple Gospels. I'm reading each Gospel because I'm doing what – starting in Matthew because they put that as the first. Then I get to Mark, and I'm like, hold on. We heard this already. It's what the heck is going on? Like it was very boring yeah. to me. That it was continuously doing this. And then the epistles, what am I reading? Like <laughs> a letter to somebody rebuking them because someone slept with their dad's wife? And like, like I, the, I didn't the, have any narrative. I never noticed this as a Christian, but it's a guest you've had on your. We're talking about this before you we went live, but a guest you've had on uh, Francesca Stavrakopoulos. She she mentioned that God isn't there in the New Testament. Like he's not. He's like he's kind of there, but he's like in the, in the back room. But it's all about Jesus and the you know the disciples and stuff, where God was up front and personal and there in the mm -hmm. Old Testament. And it, 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 I never noticed it until I left Christianity and, and looked back. I was like, yeah, they're, they're, they're actually two very distinct. Like, it's it's very different, right? The New Testament. It's like You could God's see why Marcion came up with what he did. I mean, when you, yeah. when you look into it, it's clear why he was able to do that. And it was very convincing to so many people. Um, I wanted to paint that picture just to say, like, I got really serious. Really yeah. serious. And my wife and I, we had kids. I, I passed, I graduated high school, 
and I'm going to another church at this point. We stopped going into the com- completely crazy jibber jabberish rolling on the floor, Holy Ghost, KJV onlyist with the woman pastor who's like telling us that um, Jesus told her that he will come back before she dies. Like legit. And she's dead now, by the way. Well, but, Jesus was meant to come back in his disciples' lifetime. So, I mean, exactly. I even thought that. Yeah. But we're, but like, I'm painting it like this picture as if where I was at at the time. And I'm trying not to like tell you what I think now, of course, as much as I can yeah. to get you to come yeah. with me. Because yeah. I'm like, Jesus is going to come back. And, but I couldn't accept what she was saying anymore as I started studying the text. It just it was really, really weird. Some of the things she'd say. I'm going to Calvary Chapel. There's a pastor there. And this pastor's preaching from John. And he says, Jesus said, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And um, then he says that uh, the Jews said amongst themselves, hold on, this took us 40 years to build. This is what the pastor said. Now I read my Bible. I know my Bible. And I know it says 46. So like I'm such a like Bible biblicist that I'm like he he doesn't know how many years it said it took them to build the temple. It's 46, not 40. So I'm like, all right, maybe I should become a pastor. Like I know my Bible and I feel like this is my calling. I come yeah. up to him after church, ask him. He says, "Hey, there's a college down the road, Carolina Bible College. You should go get into it, go to seminary, become a pastor because I think you've got what it takes." It wasn't till a few months later we found out that guy was cheating on his wife with the, uh, many of the women in the congregation because this um, lady, poor lady, came up to me and my wife because my wife was wearing a very nice dress, which had her skirt was a little short on it. But she said, please start wearing a longer uh, oh. skirt when you come in here. Now, we thought, what the hell's wrong with her at first? you know? And, and then we come to find out, well, now we know why. Because mm-hmm. she, I, I'm pretty sure she had suspicions that her husband was checking out the congregation and was sleeping with many of the women. And he got caught uh, cheating on his wife as the pastor of the congregation, sleeping with all these girls. So I was like, okay, now that makes sense. But I go to college. And I'm one of those people that when I read something or I study, I follow the evidence. It's always yeah. been my goal. As long as it's kosher, as long as it keeps me still within that experience I had as a teenager, which I knew was true. Duh. Jesus. Oh, it has to be. Yeah. It exactly. has to be true. There's no way that this isn't true. That's why I did my critique recently, of William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig's like clearly at the fundamental level, there is an experience and an assurance of the Holy Spirit that he has. That's exactly what I had as a teenager. Well, I'm going to college. I become a Calvinist because I start to hear about systematic theology and some of the arguments that Paul makes in Romans 9. And then I saw these passages I just could not wrap my head around where God hates people. I have all, I'm skipping a year or two here. But so Calvinist, just quickly for people who don't know what that is, what is a Calvinist? So John Calvin was a reform, a reformer, someone who was a Protestant reformer. A Protestant is someone who's protesting against the Catholic Church, practically. They're going against the Catholic Church in many ways. They think the Catholics got it wrong. 
a lot of the, the Protestants believed that the Catholics invented miracle stories about saints. They did all sorts of crazy stuff that was outside of what the Bible's teaching. And so they want to get back to the text. They're big biblicists. They're about the text. And John Calvin, just like Augustine earlier, is a predestinarian. They believe that you know God predetermines things. And the text and the scriptures talk about this as if God knows the future, but not only knows it, is active mm. in it. God works everything for the good of those who love him to those who are called, justified, glorified, Romans 8. My point is, is they believe that it's all part of God's plan. Yeah. But so they don't believe more in healing. Like, uh, huh? They don't believe in healing, do they? Most of them don't, but there are charismatic Calvinists out there. Oh, okay. Because I remember talking to, to some sort of a Calvinist once over some beers, and, and I mentioned... I said, well, how do you get around the miracles that we see in church that I see in my church? And and he said, if your church is doing miracles, I find them immoral for not being outside of a children's hospital every single day, mm. healing every single person that goes in there. And that kind of shut me up. <laughs> it's, it, you know, they got a point. I mean, let's be honest. They have a good point. I always thought that too. I'd struggled with, is God still doing miracles or is, is he done with miracles? I struggled with that. Mm. Because as I became a Calvinist, I thought maybe the gifts were have ceased. Mm. With the with the when we said oh, when oh. that which is perfect has come, then these things will cease. Yeah. These gifts, a, a prophecy and speaking in tongues, but love will never cease. We interpreted that which is perfect to be the canon. Yeah, because we're biblicists. Yeah, but it's like really is that what it meant? Now looking back, or did this was this not talking about the parousia when Jesus yeah. has come and put an end to all wickedness and brought in all good. Like they, there won't be a need to interpret. Everyone will know, like it will be obvious. So yeah. there's a lot of things like that. You won't need prophesying because it is here. The things we're waiting for is finally here. And they call this term already, but not yet. Okay. So they're like you're saved now, but mm, he who endures to the end will be saved. Well, hold on. I thought you uh, said I am saved. Yes, yeah. you are. And you aren't. And, and so like, yeah. which is why they'll say you're, you're one of those seeds that sprouted up quick, Derek, and did not take root. Oh yeah. Scatter along the path or something. I, the, yeah. the, it's also, I used to also struggle with, um, with when there'd be people who were immoral, who were clearly being led by God. So, right. um, <laughs> I don't know if you had this in Australia, but, but back in MySpace days, I had it on my MySpace. I am so inspired by two people. One of them is Michael Guglielmucci. Do you ever know about this guy? Michael. He was a Guglielmucci. Uh -uh. He was a pastor of um, Planet Shakers Church in Melbourne, and then he became a youth pastor. And then he became a band member who sang, uh, he sang that song. Um, I believe you're my healer, um, healer song by Hillsong. And um, anyway, it turns out you know he was on stage with an oxygen mask and everything. And turns out. He never had cancer. He told everyone he had cancer. He was dying of cancer. He shaved his head and everything. He didn't have cancer. It just turned out that he had. He was addicted to porn, and he stressed himself out so much trying to hide that that he would that he was losing his hair and stuff. And then he started making up excuses about dying of cancer. Um, wow. And I remember being like so conflicted. Like, how can God be moving through someone? Because he God is clearly moving through someone when he's lying about his like about being and then the answer to that was i've got the answer for anyone who's interested um god used a donkey so god can use anything right so god yeah. uses pharaoh i mean yeah look, look at yeah. how he uses pharaoh but he hardens his heart you know but he's still using him so 
I, I see what you're trying to get at. Now, th th that's a whole nother thing. This whole time, I'm going to be very TMI here. This whole time with addiction and Jesus. And also, I have since puberty always watched porn. Like my whole life. Mm. I've always been someone who's watched porn. I struggled with this, um, especially as I was religious, because I would go down and get prayed for. They'd lay on the hands. And I noticed like none of the leaders in these youth groups that were like there laying on the hands. And I'd almost go down like every other day, every other, every third day. Sometimes I'd wait a day or two, even though I should have gone down there, you know, in my head and things like that. Because I was so embarrassed because mm -hmm. naturally, totally naturally, I was struggling with this flesh and flesh is nature. You're just normal, natural inclinations. And I go down there and none of these people ever needed to be prayed for. And I thought to myself, dang, man, these guys are spiritual monsters. Like these guys yeah. are spiritually amazing. I can't, I don't know. How do I get on their level? Like how yeah. do I get as spiritual as they are? Because they're obviously not suffering or struggling with the same thing that I am. Yeah. <laughs> Do I have God's spirit? This really started to make me question. Am I really God's child? Everyone around me, all these people who are preaching and teaching in Trojans for Christ at Pine Forest High School, where I graduated, we had a youth group thing and it was like a serious every morning we'd go in there. None of them needed the prayer for these things. They were the mm -hmm. ones always laying their hands on people. And I always thought to uh, myself, wow, I, they don't I, struggle. I feel that so strongly as well. Like I, I've, I've watched porn my entire life as well. And I used to really struggle with shame and guilt around that to the point where, mm -hmm. you know, like I would actually get physically, I'd get, I get physical symptoms, you know, that I like, I was, I was in pain. Right. Like, and, uh, and it, it was horrible. But what I, what I noticed is when I started talking really candidly to pastors about it and they would say, you know, you know, um, you know, I was set free from it or whatever. When I asked them like, Oh, so you haven't looked at porn for like, seven years or something they would go well you know it's it's on the cross and they would never answer the question they start, they started dancing around it every time i would ask them and i'm like and I'm, I'm thinking back to it now i'm like these motherfuckers were probably just watching porn like not all the time but they probably had slip-ups yeah. as we would call them and stuff um, or they did it and just somehow cognitive dissonance allowed them to just skip over it somehow i tried to do that yeah. as well i mean i even was part of programs when i went to the reformed presbyterian church i talked to the pastor about this they put me on, like he paid for a program to where I could punch in my IP address so that like if anything came up and I searched it, it would email one of my accountability partner guys in the church to see what I've been looking yeah. up. I mate, mean, there mate, was levels I, I was trying to solve. And I'm like... I, same. I got around that, but then my friend installed something that took screenshots as well. So like it would sc take screenshots every 15 minutes and he could see a log and he was my accountability buddy. Like, like, is he sitting at just, home going, <laughs> he, he said, <laughs> he actually said, he actually said to me, it was quite shocking what I was seeing to be honest once, <laughs> but, um, but oh to, but God. to be, to be honest, um, and just a quick little plug, uh, this isn't my main channel. This is a separate channel, but on my main channel, we are doing a, we recently did a Hellcast a podcast with a bunch of a panelists with we will talk about hell talk about getting over the fear of hell where hell's origins came from but we are doing a, a new one in the future to talk about purity culture because one thing that i've noticed through doing deep drinks here um interviewing heathen queen interviewing um uh, hayley brook is that women had a very different type of purity culture that we did mm. they were taught that they had to cover up 
or they were going to be they were going to make men stumble. And men, we yep. were taught like I, I, I'm almost certain you'll agree that we were almost predators that needed to like hold back our ur urges and we would have like um these accountability clubs to try and see how long we could go without like watching porn or masturbating mm -hmm. um and then what happens is you get like a, a 16 year old boy who hasn't masturbated in, in two weeks and then he sees like one centimeter of cleavage on a lady at church and he's like i'm gonna explode and then, and then the lady's like oh and then like it's like a self-perpetuating problem and i love what uh heathen queen said which was not honoring the needs of your body and that really resonated with me. So in the future, we're doing a panel on my channel, Dave McDonald, um, on purity culture. But keep going, um, Derek, because this this is all just, it's hit me exactly where, it's very yeah, similar yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. So this Cowboy 1000, yes, it was Covenant Eyes. Yep. Just to say <laughs> in the chat. And, and we, I did that for a while, but when I had the urge, I didn't use that computer i just went on my phone and did the freaking incognito mode and i was good to go like nobody could see an email so i didn't want to look that <laughs> but i also didn't hide it i mean that's the difference is i think i was really trying to be honest um it was it was really tough dealing with that and then also dealing with how come i'm struggling with this addiction my father i forgot to mention is an alcoholic and uh he's sober now but the point is is like i saw him get sober and then he'd struggle and he'd get good. My mom and him would fight every time, all the time when he was drunk and it would get violent sometimes. Um, you know, he'd black out and not even know what he was doing. Years later, someone asked me, how do you know you forgave your father for the things that he did? And I told him, well, I became him. That's how. And I know that when I became him and I became what he was to us and how I became like that to my family, I, I know I didn't mean to do these things. I really mm. did not. So there's this moment in Paul where you hear him say, like, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. That kind of idea. There's some truth to that in some respects to just human nature. But there's like, where do you cut off what is okay and what isn't okay uh, that we should you know, be able to do? And I think that this fight against the flesh that Paul has is really self-destructive. Just pointing out as a conclusion. Okay, I'm a reformed Calvinist. I have, I think the second coming of Jesus is any day now. I think the end is near. And my pastor at the church, the one who got me on covenant eyes, was like, hey, have you ever heard of amillennialism? You should, you know, read this book, A Case for Amillennialism by a lady named Kim something. I became an amillennialist because there were some good points that were brought up in the book that I had never heard. And it made me think premill dispensationalism is just not cutting it. it, it it's got some weird Tim LaHaye, um, you know, uh, left behind series type stuff <laughs> that I believed for so long. And then I went from that and it wasn't long, a couple months maybe before I got into partial preterism. For those who don't know what this is, everything I'm telling you is part of the subject called eschatology. It's the end times, the study of the last days. I believe we're living in the last days at the time. So I'm studying it and I'm, I never took it serious. Why? Because, well, you study the last things as your last thing. You don't make that the first thing you study. You la that's the last thing you study. It's, it's the study of last things. People put that stuff on the shelf and don't even realize how damaging it is to the Christian faith. Like it is one of the reasons that I was like, mm, yeah, this isn't true anymore. Like I realize <laughs> it now. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it took time. It took time. I became a partial predators for a year, two years, Max. R.C. Sproul, Kenneth Gentry, Gary Damar, all of these partial preterists, which preterism teaches that there are things that are Bible prophecies that are fulfilled. And partial means some Bible prophecies already happened. But there's still some for the future. So we're waiting on the final resurrection. We're waiting on the final judgment, the second coming of Jesus. That's all we're waiting for. Everything else is pretty much fulfilled. And I came across full preterism. I won't bore you to death and go deep into this, but it is a heresy that puts you outside of orthodoxy. It is the teaching that Jesus' second coming happened in the first century. Ah, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. So okay. people aren't waiting for Jesus to come back. It already happened. Yeah, he's already come back. Okay. And the reason you come to this kind of position is because you're a biblicist. So like you can go to a pastor, you can go to a church, you can go to a priest, you can go to any Christian church. If you're a biblicist, whatever they say is, you know, you want to accept them, you want to trust them. But really, what does the Bible teach? This is being a biblicist. And this is what I was. I wanted to understand Christianity. And the best way to do that isn't through church fathers who are kind of interpreting things in their own ways later on. It was, what does the New Testament teach? And that's what I wanted to get at. And when I found out Jesus himself promised that he was going to come back before some of his disciples would die, some of them standing there would taste death, and that they would see the glory of, the, like, of him coming with the angels and repaying each man according to their deeds, etc. The second coming would happen. Once I saw that that had to happen or Jesus would fail because he said so, well, I believe in Jesus. Remember my teenage experience? So you're left with no choice. Jesus either lied. That can't be true. That cannot be true. He, he lied or he was wrong, and that's impossible. Because I know, like William Lane Craig talks about, that assurance of the Holy Spirit. I know that this is true. That's mm. the presupposition based on my experience as a teenager. So now I have to interpret the Bible in a way that makes sure Jesus doesn't fail. And what ends up happening Jesus came back. So I was talking to, to other Christians in the Presbyterian church about this. And I was telling them, how do you answer this? Look at what Jesus said. Here, read the Bible. Boom. How do you answer this? And they'd be like, I can't. I don't know what to say. That, that, yeah, it says what you're saying it's saying. And I got called into the church. Five elders sat me down. And they uh -oh. said, don't speak. Listen to what we have to say. And they warned me. First of all, about the dangers of heresy and about hellfire and things like that. Also, the idea of making others stumble and that this is a heresy that you're teaching. And that pretty yeah. much you need to cut the crap because this is not okay. And this goes against the creeds. This goes against orthodoxy. And that I wanted to defend myself. I felt like I was Martin Luther where he was like, yeah, please tell me you nailed. Please tell me you nailed something to the front door of that church. Presbyterian Church. No, I yeah. felt like I wasn't perfect opportunity. Yeah, it would have been, but I I didn't feel like I was welcomed at that point. Mm. I felt very ostracized, and I said, "Okay, I'm just I'm not coming back. I'm not." Yeah, and they and they later on when I gave a testimony at a full preterist church in New York, I was still a believer. Um, the pastor saw it and wrote me this long letter about how I lied, and said, "You're a liar." Mm because we did not excommunicate you for full preterism. 
saying the second coming of Jesus already happened. We've excommunicated you for your absence of attending. And it's like, that's like saying God created all humanity and the calamities of the world and this garden and allows the snake in there to cause the man he knows is going to fall to fall in all the chaos, hell, rape, disease, and everything that happens on planet Earth. But God's not uh, responsible for any of that. It's like it, it's like it, it secondary is, responsibility. It's clear. One that thing that reason- one thing that triggers me beyond like because I'm very much like you, where if something doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like it's like it's like you can't make one plus one equal five. Like it, it equals two. Like you can't. Like so, I would always. It's always triggered me. I, I never understood when 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 Christians would just eh, like blase or just lie. Oh, oh the scripture says well, whatever, and like move on and go to their youth group and like it. When I was a Christian, it didn't make sense. When because I was looking into those same arguments as you, and I would talk to the pastor, and he'd, he'd said to me, "Oh, you won't need to worry about any of that stuff. You're doing ministry college next year." As if like these issues that I had was like, "Well, I'll go to ministry college and I'll be in the ministry and I'll all be good." Like it, it, it blows my mind. And then also the dishonesty. Like I don't know how Christians can lie. Like I have I the people that lie the most to me in my life are Christians. Like my Christian friends and family little white lies but i'm still like how 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 are you lying so like how do you just lie like that it doesn't make sense to me like you know you're going to hell right you know it's like a it's like a, you're you're sinning right that's a sin right like do you want do you understand that like it's so weird in one breath they, they tell you you need jesus to be saved and that sin will separate you from god and you go to hell and then the other breath they tell you like a white lie like or, or any type of lie it's i it's perplexing like mm. I, I don't understand it and that's the rant. That's the yeah. Rant. No, no, no. It's it's a good it's a good point. I think we we have a natural tendency to lie. We want to tell stories. It's built yeah. into our nature. It's built into our evolution. Uh, we're storytelling creatures. We're social creatures. We're meant to tell stories. And I didn't know all this. I mean, at this point in my life, I didn't believe in evolution. Like I didn't think it was a scientific fact, even though it's called a theory. Yes, I think it's a fact. Um, I did not believe the earth was, you know, older than 7,000 years. I'm not going to say I was dogmatic on it, but I was like, I was kind of in this bubble of, well, the Bible says, you know, therefore it's true. Um, I didn't try to find a way to see that Genesis might not be ex nihilo. All of that stuff comes later. It was, it was me getting excommunicated from there where I was able to kind of do my own study, do my own research and investigate. And I relapsed throughout these years. I mean, I've, I've skipped so, so much uh, in terms of the relapse that comes back and then get back on, get clean, get sober, come back. And I was going to AA and NA throughout these processes. And I was having a hard time because they would tell you at AA and NA that you have a disease, that this is a disease. And while it, it is considered medically a disease, it's not in the same exact sense what we think of when we say disease. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm allergic to break out in handcuffs. An allergy we imagine is like a reaction where it's like, oh my gosh, I've, I've got you know, a rash mm. or my throat's closing or something. But there's allergies in which people react in funny ways like alcoholism where they can't put down the drink. They keep drinking more. And I think it breaks down to how the alcohol turns into how your body's breaking down the alcohol versus someone who's not an alcoholic. And there's ways in which mm. it breaks down differently, which there's some science behind. 
And I'm like, okay, mm. I, I think I need to go and study why I'm addicted. Why do I keep drinking or why do I keep wanting to pop opiates? Because I was doing opiates on and off eight to 10 years at this point. It went from Vicodin to Percocets, Percocets to Oxys when they were crushable. I started snorting the oxycodones, the, the oxycotton, if you will. And uh, they, they made a new formula where you couldn't crush them anymore because you want the quickest, fastest uh, effects. You want to feel the mm -hmm. best high. And uh, I'd swallow them and I'd try to find ones I could crush. And I'm telling you, like the whole thing, all still being a Christian, but not feeling like I'm living my life right for God and that I needed to try and fight this thing and come back. And I'd have like a religious experience every time I came back. Like maybe I got saved for sure, for sure this time. Cause you know, like you're, you're really battling yeah. this thing. And yeah. they would always tell me it was your spiritual, it was you being not spiritually fit. It was um, you're fighting against spiritual powers and principalities and things like that. It's not a disease. It's a moral issue. They always brought this thing. Like it's a moral issue. And that's where it can be dangerous. That's where church can be really fucking dangerous. Yeah. Advice like that. It's a medical mental health issue. 100%. But I didn't know that hmm. till I started to go to AA and NA. And this is why, while I don't agree with a lot of things that NA and AA do, um, mm -hmm. it helped me out the gate. It was a program that actually helped me because it allowed me to, believe whatever I wanted about whatever it is I called my higher power. And yet I could still try to just be myself. You can't walk into church. And um, I, like I was watching this testimony recently and it kind of cracked me up. It's kind of sad, but it was, to me, it cracked me up because I heard these stories all the time. There's this woman who stands up and she's got the microphone. She says, I was living in sin. I was sleeping with all these men every night. I had my tongue up on his balls. I mean, in church. And she goes, and she said balls, not like balls. She was like, balls. Like really long. Uh. And she, as she's doing it, she's like, and she looks over at the guy and he's like, grabs the microphone and starts to walk up there. And you can tell like everybody was like, did she just say what I think she just said? Notice she shouldn't have been saying that there. Yeah. But in AA or NA, yeah. you could go in there and people will listen to you, even if it is like, come on, you wouldn't, that's TMI. Like you didn't have to say all that. <laughs> but sometimes people do. And you go, yeah. okay, this is raw. This yeah. is this is a church I like to be a part of because you can go there and you'll hear people talk about how bad they were selling their bodies for drugs doing things that you won't hear them say in church. And I thought, this is real, but there's still that higher power thing. Mm. So I still had the higher power. And it reminded me of a recent interview that uh, Jordan Peterson or debate he did with uh, some lady, I don't know her name on God. And they asked the question out front. It was on that uh, Christian radio show program, unbelievable or whatever it is. And he's like, mm -hmm. can we live believe. life without God? And she says, absolutely, without a doubt. And then Jordan Peterson oh. says, absolutely not. But then he yeah. redefines God. Oh, yeah. It's the same. Yeah. You can't give up cigarettes without um, without spiritual intervention. You're like, what? Like, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Well, he literally like, says in it, he goes, the thing that you acquire the most and put as the highest place in your thinking and what you aspire to, that's your God. 
and we all have them. Like, notice how he completely redefined what God even means. Yeah. And if that's your God, then technically I worship and believe in nature, naturalism. Mm. So yeah. like, if you want to be technical, my God is existence and what actually is not supernatural, mm. not metaphysical beings. If you want to define it that way, sure, go ahead. And I guarantee you, Jordan Peterson would say, yep, that is your God. Okay, yeah. fine, dude. If that, does that make you feel good that you have to put God into every category? <laughs> he's, he's, sure, go for it. If you really badly a fun, have to, he's a fun guy. He's a fun guy. Like he, it's like it's like when you when someone goes like, so do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And he's like, take me two days to answer that question. You're like, I thought it was a yes or no, but anyway, two days. Okay, all right, all right really, okay, whatever. But he is yeah. interesting to listen to. But anyway, keep going. So I, I, um, I realized that I didn't understand about my anatomy. I didn't understand what was going on with my brain. So I learned, I listened and learned to scientists that were talking about how our brain and the wiring in our brain, our frontal lobal cortex and the midbrain, there's neurons that are misfiring. And we're constantly chasing a high, which is making us make bad decisions. I caught some charges over the years from, uh, theft. I stole to get my addiction, to keep my addiction going, things like that. So like it got really, really bad and ugly for a long time with me. I mean, I had a business that went under the ground. I sold all my equipment. I had to start another business. I did the same thing again. Like I have just not knowing how to live my life. I was losing control and I kept going, am I God's child? Like never did I blame God. I never had any animosity. I always thought it was me. I'm just this creature that is just a wretch. And I never thought anything negative. I was just responding to Iron Charioteer just so that uh, Iron knows, which Iron's in my chat all the time too. But like, I wanted to make that clear because every time I got saved or I got clean, I would thank God. I'd be like, you know what? You were always there the whole time. I went astray. I did this. I went off. And... Um, I might as well get to, to the climax of this whole thing. And I relapsed. I was doing really well for a long time. I relapsed and I was doing the painkillers and sniffing those and then sniffing what's called oxymorphones, where they call them opanas. And then one day I couldn't afford one of the pills. They were $80 a piece. $80. I couldn't afford it. So I went in. How long was the high? Um, at this point, my tolerance was so high that I probably get like six hours of like filling oh, a buzz, geez. you know, but, uh, I went in on a pill with somebody, we split it and I was so used to a higher amount. It didn't do anything for me. So the dope dealer who would sell it was like, I've got, I've got what they call a boy or dog food, if you will, it's heroin. And I'm like, Oh hell no, I'm not doing heroin. Like, are you kidding me? There's a stereotypical, like, we all know not to do that. It'll kill you kind of thing. But I can do all these other pharmaceuticals and whatnot, but not heroin. And I was just anxious and withdrawing in the extreme pain enough that I was willing to do a small bump, just a, just a teeny weeny little, uh, and I felt the euphoria. And it was more powerful than what I had been doing with the painkillers. And I was like, this is cheaper. This is getting me where I want to be. And it's, it's like easier to access. So I started sniffing it. And a, the months of sniffing it and not being able to afford to get that next high, at some point I could only get like $10 worth, worth which would have barely maybe made me unsick, if that. 
And it's very complicated and difficult to tell someone who does not understand what addiction is and how difficult opiate addiction really is to express everything that comes to this. And I wish I could take a chip out of the back of my head, plug it in so that they could just live it in their mind just for 10 seconds. And then they can mm. pull it out because I don't wish it on anybody, but I do wish mm. people really understood how insane and how difficult this is. And, oh, the idiot, he should have just not been choosing to do it. He should have never started to begin with. I, I started from a prescription from getting teeth pulled out. I mean, like, yeah. th there's a, it's not uh, nefarious intentions every time people get into this stuff and they get trapped. It's not just this simple, easy choice. Choices mm. have very difficult options. It's not easy to do. So I am. The, the, it's, victor, it's like the victor, like you see like a criminal breaking into a car and stealing a car. Like they're like, if they're doing that to get high, they're, they're actually like, it's hard to look at them as a victim, but they are actually a victim. Like they're, yeah. they're, not, they're not, they're not making choices to no, like, they don't. That, yeah. That yeah. disconnect that I was telling you, the yeah. wires in your decision-making process from the midbrain to the frontal lobe cortex there, it's not your decision. Okay. Let me put it another way. I want to paint it this way. Cause this is better. If you were starving, would you steal to eat? A hundred percent. Would you go take an apple from the local grocery store, or walk through the store and eat while yep. since you're hungry? And then, okay. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian or vegan. And when people ask me the pig question on the island, I, you know, would you kill a pig on the island? Yeah, yeah I'd slit its throat for sure. I'd, I'd also drink a big glass of hot piss, but I'd choose water every time. But right. but yeah, I'd, there's, I'd, there's a lot of things I'd do just to, to survive if yeah. I needed to, yeah. Exactly. It gets into instinct. It literally... Mm addiction becomes an instinctual process it literally taps into sex uh food water it, like all of the absolutes that you need to survive it becomes fused into that so mm. you feel like well i know that's wrong but i have to survive it becomes instinctual mm. and it becomes a pattern that you don't know how to break so now you're making decisions and doing things that you would do if you were starving or you needed to hydrate or or you were wanting you had you were obsessively needing sex or whatever it might be i it's don't like know. it's like one low layer below the, the maslow's hierarchy of needs it's like it's below housing and and all that stuff it's like you need like it feels like you need it more than anything right that's Absolutely. why people i'm guessing why people end up in like crack houses and stuff because it's actually taking more of a priority than their living conditions. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and I don't know how to convey that. I just research it. So, yeah. So now I'm shooting up right to the point. First time mm -hmm. I did it, I was having like a panic attack because I was worried I was, I was going to die from this first time. And I did a small amount. I shot up heroin and uh, it gave me a euphoria like I have never experienced a rush, a warm warm sensation of euphoria throughout my whole body almost instantly once it, it takes about 10 seconds it hits the vein the blood pumps to the heart it gets to the brain boom you're off to the races and i was doing heroin for about a year year and a half i was struggling so bad i had dss called i mean the D dps whatever the whatever the services are in your local area to try and have kids get taken from their parents because mm -hmm. someone called them and said, he is really bad off on drugs and they have three kids and I'm living in this house. My wife's practically raising the kids. I'm trying to hide syringes. I'm completely trapped in a dark place and I'd be laying in bed next to her. 
like nodding and she would nudge me because she'd think I'd stop breathing and I was out and maybe I wasn't going to wake up. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, and she'd get angry at me and she'd go to sleep crying every night. Like I was going to die. And um, I remember accepting my fate, like thinking, this is it. I'm dead. You know what I mean? I'm not going to make it out of this. And I just was like, I'm dead. I'm not, I'm not, this is it. Fucking dead. And I don't know how to get out of this shit. And it was the realest shit I've ever gone through in my life. Cause I just, I realized I'm worthless. Like this is my mind at the time. I'm worthless. I'm a piece of shit and nobody wants me. And I wish I could break free, but I don't know how. And nobody understands where I'm at. Like it was so bad. I don't know how to put it, you know? And, um, I remember I was feeding so bad that I made up a story about my, about my dope dealer saying that they were going to shoot up my family because they loaned me $140 in heroin. And, uh, my mom was panicking because I literally called harassing for hours to try and convince her that this is true. So she could give me enough money. So I didn't feel sick anymore. And I wanted to get a high. I didn't just want a little amount. I was so depressed. I wasn't even living at my house anymore. My wife kicked me out. So I'm living on couch to couch, going from house to house, and I'm just trying to survive. And um, my mom finally said, I'll give it to your brother because I don't trust you with it. Kurt also struggled with addiction too. But that's his story to tell, not mine. And um, I get the high. And I said, she said, if you, I'll do this for you. If you go to this lady who's in recovery's house to get clean off drugs. And I was like, easy, I'll do it. So I go there and I'm thinking to myself the whole time, I'm going to come back to you. Don't worry, heroin. I'm going to come back to you. Like it was part of me. And, and I couldn't imagine I was, it's a weird, like, I want to quit. I'm worthless. I can't. But then it was also like, I, it gave me, it fulfilled me and gave me more feeling and, 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 uh, the experience was stronger than the Holy spirit experience I got from Christianity. You see, it was a God that I worshiped that was stronger than the God I was worshiping before that kind of experience. Cause it was based on my experience. And, um, I go to the lady's house, my phone stops working. Like this is a long story, but I was trying to be able to access a dope dealer to maybe bring me a 20 bag or something. And it didn't work. And I'm like starting to come out of the fog at this lady's house. My mom and dad came over and I'm, I've mythologized. If you go to my recovery channel, when I talk about this stuff, I mythologized it almost right out the gate and made it about something in the universe looking out for me and stuff like that. Like I really told the story mm. and I conflated evidence to make it sound like the universe and God and all of this stuff is really something is actually you know doing this for me. And it wasn't just me, that the stars lined up. But I'm over her house withdrawing and my mom comes over and she says to me while we're sitting at the table and I'm very vulnerable, Derek, I love you, son. And I'm a mama's boy. I'm like, I know mom, I know, you know, but I'm also like cold. I, I, I'm, I have a hardened heart. I really feel like that. Like I legit felt tough and, and just like 
there's no way these people can love me. They can't care about me. Look at what the hell have I done? I've stole, I didn't even tell you, I've stole over the years tens of thousands of dollars from my parents. I have done unbelievable things that you're just like, there's no way. Hmm. And then mom says, no, son, you don't understand. Like you really don't understand. I love you. I really, really love you. And it, and it started to choke me up. Like I realized that my mom really does love me. And then the lady irritated me and I went to the room and I started withdrawing some more watching how people make bongs or something on like Netflix <laughs> or whatever. I just to just to let time pass because you're insane. And I started going to AA again. My wife supported me the whole time. I'm trying to get back right on my feet with the best I understand of things. And I'm like, I don't want to use drugs. So I'm five days off heroin and I open my phone and I'm watching YouTube videos of this kid who was withdrawing as well on YouTube. He documented it and then he made it to 30 days. And I said, if he can make it to 30 days, then I can make it to 30 days. I can make it to 30. And if I can make it to 30 days, I might just have a chance at beating this thing. I had two years sober from alcohol on a previous run and then I relapsed. Like I can do it. I went two years. I can do this. So I started to document and that's where you see my day five video. It's like almost got a million views. Day seven video has like a million, three, 400,000 views. I'm seven days off heroin. My teeth are butter color yellow. I look like an, a 60 year old Justin Bieber. Uh, I hear that a lot in the comment section. <laughs> and I'm, but I'm excited because I have hope that I can make it. Went to AA, talked about a higher power. Didn't know what it was. I just, I just thought maybe it's the universe. Maybe it's yeah. not Jesus, but the universe. I know a lot about Jesus, but maybe I got to try something different. And maybe I've been wrong. And I started to learn about things that were outside of just Christianity. Were outside of just the Bible. I heard a parable that I've used a lot where it's not written in any holy book. But God's going to make man and Satan overhears it. And he hears God say, man is going to be ambitious, brilliant, driven, goal-orientated. It's going to be like me. And so Satan says, I got to hide. I got to hide God from man. So he thinks about it long and hard. He says, I'll hide God beneath the mountains, under the rocks of the earth. He'll never find him there. And then he thinks, man's ambitious, goal-orientated, intelligent. They'll find a way to remove the rock unearth the dirt and find God. Oh, I know, I know what I'll do. I'll hide God beneath the oceans, under the sand of the sea. They'll never be able to find him there. Man's ambitious, driven. He'll create an apparatus, find a way to get beneath the water, sweep away the sand, and he'll find God. I can't hide God there. He thinks long and hard and says, I'll hide God. I got it. This is the one. I'm going to hide God inside of every individual. And they'll always be searching the world, always be seeking and looking for God and never take one moment and stop and look inside and say, it is I, it's me. And that at that parable, that little like story, I felt like I found God, like what God really is. Mm. And I realized that it was me. And I, that was enough. And it was like, you have what it takes. 
you know, the two footprints in the sand. You go in a lot of these AA rooms and NA rooms, you see the it's there's religious connotation. They don't want it to be mm. about Jesus, but a lot of them are. Let's be honest. In America, a lot of it is. No, it, it definitely the, is. Yeah. You see the two footprints and yeah. I carried you when you couldn't. Bro, there's two footprints because they're your feet. Oh, you that know? is that's so they're your on. feet. And I realized it mm. was me. And I finally realized that it wasn't my spiritual malady. I wasn't an evil person. I wasn't this bad human. Yeah, we do bad things, but I knew that I was sick. And it had nothing to do with what I've been taught, what the Bible is saying about these issues. I knew there was some science behind this. And I knew hundreds of other people who got clean, and they were the greatest people. Some of the greatest people I've ever met. They got their lives together. They empathize. They know what it's like to suffer. And they're like, all right, I get it. So that, that led me down this path of I was willing to question all of these experiences I had out the gate. And I know those experiences about Jesus and that church were real, were authentic experiences. But they wanted me to attribute that experience with divine, with Jesus, with God, with something more. And I found people like Darren Brown. Who's the mentalist? He's he's an yeah, atheist mentalist. Uh, yeah, he's he's crazy. Did you ever see that clip that I played on the on William Lane Craig's uh, respond video that I did? Uh, I might have, but it, I, I I think I did. But the clip that got me was the miracle for sales one, the miracles mm -hmm. for sale clip where he go where he's healing people in the street. That's right. Not, uh, is that is that the one or is it a different one? It's it's a different one. I I okay. literally feel. If you wouldn't mind, I really feel like I want to play this one part of it. You won't get yeah, the worry. You'll be able to monetize this if it yeah. is. But it is absolutely gold. And and if you go yeah. and watch the full episode, it, it tells you so much. It really does. Let me share my screen here. Um, I'm going to pull this down real fast. Bear with me. I know everybody in the chat, you're going to want to see this. If you haven't seen <laughs> it already, I think it's relevant. Uh, and this would be actually a good time to mention too, to make sure you go subscribe to Myth Vision. I mean, the dude, you got 50,000, 52,000 subscribers for a reason. You just pump out amazing content. Um, and, uh, yeah, so make sure you check out the stuff. And also everything that, um, that Derek is mentioning, his, um, his videos uh, of your addiction and all that, I'll be putting in the description after the fact. So if you want to okay. come back here, if you can't find them, they'll be, be there. But, yeah. Do you ready for me to share your screen? Yeah, if you can. Okay. Okay, so this this video recently I did on William Lane Craig, but this this made more sense to me. We can make anything make sense if we try hard enough. Okay, I'm gonna stop it there and just just I think it's necessary to point out that this woman's experience was legit. And if mm. you go and see how he made it become an experience and all he literally taps into her experience with her father, her, her relationship with real people that she has real actual world experience with and takes that experience and applies it to a father figure agent, some father figure overseeing her life as an agent. And he's an atheist and she's an atheist, but she doesn't know that he's an atheist. So he tricks her, then brings her on the show at the end. And you're going to want to watch that if you haven't. 
people laugh at me, go, oh, you're taking a show and you think this is good evidence. It's a show. It's an entertainment. Yeah, it is entertaining. But this is a legit guy, Darren Brown, who's actually doing these things to show you Mm -hmm. how the mind works, how the human works. And it goes back to that example of when I started studying the science behind my addiction. And then I started reading books like Why We Believe in Gods. Just read the book. There's a book out there on Amazon, Why We Believe in Gods, A Scientific Approach. And all of the natural phenomena that go into why we believe in gods, that started to make more sense. Religion, Jesus, uh, drug addiction, all of these things started to make more sense approaching it scientifically with natural explanations than it ever did in the magical thinking that I once was in. When you weigh out the two, there's no comparison. And the scientific approach actually had more accurate or better um, conclusions, better um, results, because I actually was able to see what was going on. And it divorced it from some moral, you're a horrible or bad individual, you're a wicked person, or get out of my face. No, mm, it, it, that doesn't help. Hey, like I, I went to therapy after deconstructing and the big thing that my psychologist would point out was um, I would say like, oh, I, you know, did, had a bad thought or I'd say this, I did this, it was bad or whatever. And he said, uh, he, he goes, you don't use the word bad. He's like, it's not helpful to your goals. And I was like, it's okay. Not- and, and that was, that was, he's like, think you can't frame it as bad. It's not helpful for your goals because but the, the whole process of shame and bad and thinking horrible, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything to help the the process. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't help you get better in anything. That's true. Um, it doesn't. I, I must just say one more thing on this topic is this. I felt like my my relationship with Jesus, my, my religious experience, my spiritual life was another addiction. It was another way of feeling and experiencing and fulfilling those, those things that I got out of drug addiction as well from this religion. I was constantly wetting my appetite with these, with these things, but they were harmful. Mm. They were not good. They were not healthy. It is not healthy to tell people something's wrong with you because you watch pornography or, mm. you know, or um, you're, there's, you are having addiction so bad that you can't be God's child or you don't have the spirit of God. Why don't you just surrender? Don't you realize God's, want, God's the one who's working here? Uh, you're fighting it with your cold heart. Like there's all sorts mm. of problems that start to yeah. come up with people who are suffering with these things. So. I used to ask people because, like, you know, I, 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 I think I struggled. Well, I struggled a lot with pornography addiction or addiction. I watched porn, right? Like, we, I called yeah. it addiction at the time. But, like, um, I and I and I would, I would go like, what do I do? Like, help me, like, help me, like, to to people. And they say, you can't, you can't use your own flesh. You've got to use the power of God. I'm like, I'm trying. Like, I remember one time I was coming back from preaching at a church, a rural church, and I came. I was coming back, I was driving back. And I spent, and the the pastor that told me I had to do it in God's strength said, "Are you praying in tongues?" And I said, "Oh," and he go, "I go, yeah, I do." And he goes, "Well, for how long?" And I said, "He goes, because he goes, it doesn't really. I don't. I find that it doesn't really get you in the mood until about thirty minutes." So oh I remember driving gosh. back, and I was just in the car, like speaking in tongues. Yeah, 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 speaking in tongues, and eventually you get the rhythm, and it starts sounding more like tongues, but. 
you know, I was doing them the whole way back. And then after 30 minutes, it's like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and one thing that, one thing that gets me and, um, is, you know, humans seem to, and this is just a random aside, but humans seem to accept that optical, optical illusions are a thing or audible illusions are a thing. Right. And we accept hypnosis as a thing, right? Like people can right. be hypnotized and stuff, but we never consider the idea that sometimes maybe the process of what's happening in some churches or some religious ceremonies is a process of emotional, emotional, um, uh, illusions or some form right. of hypnosis and stuff. And that would make sense, right? Because sometimes you're in some religious ceremonies and not everyone is experiencing the same thing. And if people are telling you God's in the room, what kind of person could have their, have their walls up so much so that God couldn't get through them if he's literally in the room, like, or the spirit is moving or the shamans uh, are getting the, the spiritual goblins out to grab you. Like what, who can, not experience it if it's actually happening like you I, I don't buy this to me it makes a lot more sense that it's some form of illusion hip, hypnotic we don't understand i don't know you know it's, it's something visceral um non-visceral um you know uh anyway i, um, I one thing i want to say that you brought up about the speaking in tongues thing that really got me like what the heck is that scene from tropic thunder comes to mind like you know, never go full retard, man. Um, <laughs> it, it literally makes you feel like I feel like Ben Stiller, where he's like, you know, yeah, like I was playing the act so much that I actually started feeling stupid. Like I started to actually feel like maybe I'm literally stupid. I'm trying to use the the a nicer word than the one used in the video. Um, but like, and he's like, Oh yeah, farting the bubble baths and stuff like that. I mean, like you're in the car driving and you're like, you don't even like you're not even thinking like it's just yeah. oh man if anyone if anyone wants to see a good example of this in mainstream tv check out nathan fielder's new show the rehearsal um there is a lady in that in the second and third and fourth episode that is spot on with like an extreme version of many of the people in my church and you know oh we don't celebrate halloween um you know the google is run by satanists and like in all that oh, kind okay. of you know everything you know um but anyway, um, let's be on the point. What I we were going to go into a bit of a deep dive into, like everything that you know. But what I'm going to ask people to do is, if you've got questions for Derek, I've got a couple of questions first. But if you've got yeah. a couple of questions for Derek, start ask posting them. them. Ask them. Ask away, and then I'll um, I'll answer them. Uh, well, not I'll answer them. Derek will answer them. It's two thirty for me. All right, give me a break. Uh, two thirty a.m. Um, so. Uh, first one though, and this is a very serious question. So you've, you've, I'm doing a hard right turn here, but you've uh, interviewed many people, mythicists, people who critique mythicism, people at Resurrection, Bartom, and a million people. But you've never really, I've never heard you make a hard stance on the real important issues of the Bible. So I was just wondering if you could explain this to me. Um, so Deuteronomy 23.1. If a man's testicles are crushed or his penis is cut off, he may not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. And another verse to bring up, uh, if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from the assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you should cut off her hand. My question is, why is Deuteronomy always talking about people's nuts? They're, well, 
obviously you go back far enough and sex is in every one of these ancient Near Eastern cultures. It's like a major thing. Even the gods have sex. God himself has sex, which Francesca Stavrakopoulou's book talks about. Yeah. Yep. Everyone go get this. This is the, this is the signed version. I spent two weeks pocket money to get it all the way over from, uh, from the UK. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, sex is huge. Uh, it goes into all the cultures. It's in the language. And she points that out in the book. So I think being able to multiply and having your genitals be intact and everything work fine, that's like the biggest thing. I mean, they even thought the man's the one who actually produces the child. And women are just like, the, I'm going to plant my seed. My seed will grow, which is the human. So the seed is what the man has. There's a lot of reasons yeah. why... And it's an extremely outdated, backwards, misogynistic approach to the world around us. But um, that would be my answer. Uh, priests need so, to have their balls intact. So I, I just Googled craziest Bible verses and found two that I thought were funny. And you actually gave a real answer to that. I wasn't expecting that. I thought we would just laugh <laughs> about it. But but thank you. Um, I, have a, I, I, want, I want to do this rapid fire Hit thing, me. right? Okay. So... You used to be a mythicist. You're not a mythicist anymore. No disrespect to any mythicist. No. Godless engineer is a friend of mine. Love John. But what do you think of mythicism? Is it true? Or is it not true? Like, what, where, where do you lean at the moment? If it's a spectrum, uh, where are you on that spectrum? Yeah, I, I lean there was a guy. Um, and it, it comes down to some fundamental issues that I personally think. I get the mythicist position. And the problem is we have Paul's letters. And how do you interpret some of the data in Paul's letters? I think there was a man named Jesus who was crucified, who was then deified. It wasn't long, just like I mythologized my own recovery story a few weeks after I actually got clean and sober. I can't imagine that they didn't do that with a guy like Jesus um, out the gate. They're already mythologizing this guy, and they had experiences of him after he's dead. And by the way, the most common thing that happens in reality, go and study the statistics on this, is when you talk about people who have experiences of gods or religious experiences or Elvis appearances, things like that, those happen. Those happen. Mm. Oh, I saw Tupac Shakur, or I, I experienced him, or he came and visited me. The most common experience that happens that is like that is a post-mortem experience with a loved one. Psychologists talk about this all the time, and they really think that they are seeing and hearing or feeling or being touched by a loved one who's deceased. Yeah. So I, I think there was a guy, and these are extremely superstitious Jews who think the end is any moment now. Jesus probably taught an apocalyptic end. The kingdom of God was coming soon. And here they are in cognitive dissonance coupled with their experience now applying it to this Jesus figure who they believe any noble, righteous person in a Greco-Roman world, if you're holy or a good, righteous man, or you've done great, you become divinized or angelified, if you will. So I definitely think there was a guy, I put myself at like a 70-30, probably the reverse of what Richard Carrier says. I can't prove there was a guy. And I think that's what really gets some of the more dogmatic ones that are mythicist in my chat worked up. If you can't prove there was a guy, then why do you do it? Well, I've heard all the, the explanations for Paul saying Jesus was crucified, right? And I've heard the mythicist explanations. And I just go, Philo, Josephus, Paul, the Gospels, they all talk about Jews actually being crucified on an actual Roman cross. 
it's so much simpler to me. And it's mm. just like they mythologized this guy. That means he didn't walk on water. He didn't actually do any literal miracles. That doesn't mean he wasn't a miracle worker like, yeah. you know, Benny Hinn or somebody. But, you know. <laughs> oh, Benny Hinn is a miracle worker. A miracle worker. There's um, like Peter Popoff is a miracle worker. There's, there's um, one thing that gets me is, and this just sticks with me so much, is I talk about it in my video, links in the description on the Bible history. But Bart Ehrman's method, reading the the, uh, the gospels horizontally or vertically or whatever he says, like reading is Mark never had the disciples encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And yeah. that's our earliest gospel. To me, that is like, imagine if this was literally someone just hit his body or, or they were mistaken with the tomb or the Romans did take it or something like that. And then this all just came from that. It's all like the, the stories and the, crazy to think one little event in in history from all the apocalyptic preachers that were around at the time could have i mean now we're getting to like conspiracy theories and i'm gonna start sounding like a 9-11 truth or something but like it sounds like it could work like that you know what i mean um uh okay next one um and uh, uh, resurrection what do you think happened oh god you kind I, of I answered play, it, but... yeah i play with um various ideas about the resurrection here but I know that they already were hoping for one. And if you had a loved one that you experienced after they die and you thought that they were seen or you thought you experienced them in some way, they spoke to you, whatever. I imagine that you would then try to somehow rationalize your understanding of the general resurrection that all Jews thought would happen with this one individual's resurrection, which is why I think the Gospel of Matthew fabricates the legend of the zombie apocalypse. They put this resurrection of, well, it wasn't just Jesus. There were other Jews and, and mm. righteous men who came back to life, which we know didn't happen. Even Mike Lacona was fired for something like that because he said he didn't think it literally happened historically. So the Christian mm. you know, college or wherever he was at fired him. Um, I think that uh, as it goes with this resurrection theme, you also have to look at, all of the pictures, not just Jewish milieu to understand what might be happening. Heroes would disappear. Uh, they, they would be taken. They would have transformations. They would go off into heaven, the celestial sphere, things like that. So um, if I were to try and play it back, I like to play different roles in my head. Are we counting an empty tomb? Or are we saying the empty tomb's legendary? What are we going to explain about the criteria? Either way, it does not equate this resurrection really is true. There were even scholars who said, well, the gospel tells you the answer. They stole the body. Now, Christians have a response to this, but like literally there are accusations, oh, the disciples mm -hmm. just stole the body. And there are real scholars who take that conclusion and say, no, they, they believe in Jesus and they don't want this to be embarrassing. So they took the body or whatever excuse you can come up with, anything's possible. But I definitely think the guy was a real person. Okay, um, that is great. I've got some questions from the audience. Um, someone asked, do you think religion is like a drug? Yes. Okay. I do. Um, I, mean, I don't want to get too lost into it, but I'm not saying it is a drug. I'm saying it's like one. It's tapping yeah. into the same stuff in, in the cortex like drugs do. You're get, It's touching the same things. And like I said, um, drug addiction gets down into that whole, like it, it literally fuses itself to your instincts. 
And what is religion other than it's, it is finding its ways to kind of fuse itself to your senses and your experience in the world. All your senses are getting tapped into. This is a why that you walk into the cathedral, you see the big images, you hear the noises, you smell the incense. Like they're, they're trying to get all of those instinctual patterns satisfied in these religions. So yeah, I think that it's like a drug and it acts like a drug in many ways. Now I would talk to an expert or ask someone who knows the brain and these things better than I do, but I'm convinced that by my experience too. Awesome. Um, that actually answered one of the questions I had. Um, also we have, uh, Shannon Q in the audience. Hey, Shannon. Shannon is, was awesome because she was the first guest that I had on when we did the rebrand and the relaunch. So go check out her episode because it was really interesting because we talked about consciousness in that one and it was really, really, she really fun. Is, she inspired me to want to interview a guy named Mark, Mark Solms on consciousness and like really dive into this. But I'm looking at it from a natural perspective and she's been huge, brilliant, brilliant. Shannon's brilliant. Yeah, yeah great person. Uh Nidamus asked, if you could redo any interview you've done on MythVision, which one would it be and why? Any interview I've done on MythVision? That's a tough one. I've done over a thousand interviews. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, Nidamus. That's an interesting question. Um, hmm. I, I'd have to think about that one. That one's tough because I don't know. You know, I just would do a new retake. I really don't know. <laughs> Um, okay. Um, you kind of touched this before, but I'll ask my other question. Um, how do you account for religion? What is religion to you? Well, uh, obviously we'd be talking about organized religion is, is, uh, these belief systems that all these people have organized together in which they're believing in usually a metaphysical belief system that is something beyond the natural world superstition, I would call it where people are having hope. They're trying to explain why we're here. They're trying to explain what this is, the meaning of life and where we're going. Typically that's what I would see as religion and it's organized in different pockets and they're usually fighting each other because uh, we have the right version of it. Um, but Buddhism is kind of a different type of thing that we still call a religion and it doesn't posit a God. So it, it, it's one of those categories that looking at a generic definition would be one of the things I would do. Just try and explain religion. Mm. Sometimes I universalize the term and I'll just put, oh, Christians. Well, what is a Christian? Well, not all Christians think the same. And then when I actually talk to some of them, I'm like, okay, hold on. Me and you've got a lot more in common. Maybe I shouldn't generically use the term Christian, but it's just how we are. I mean, sometimes I just will just say, oh, Christians or Muslims will say or whatever. And I don't mean it like that. So I don't know, as far as religion goes, I would just say an organized approach where, and it's coupled with culture on, on these belief systems of where we come from, what are we doing, what's our purpose and where are we going? Yeah. It's like trying to, it's like our first, humanity's first attempt or earliest attempt to explain the cosmos. Or um, even existence. Like, what is this? So yeah, they're all trying to explain it, like, what is this? And it's like, yeah, you know. Um, so we have 45,000 different denominations of Christianity, according to the center of Christian studies. And someone asked, how would you define a Christian in your own words? And they might be using this as bait to do a hit piece on you. So choose good, carefully. Good. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, there's 45,000 denominations, but I would say there's 
millions of different types of Christians, and each person's different. Uh, this is the difficult problem is trying to define what a Christian is because the earliest Christians in our New Testament cannot agree with each other on the meaning of the gospel. Paul, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos, yeah. And Paul says, anyone who teaches you another gospel than the one that, who, well, what other, go, who's, who are, <laughs> where are these other gospels at? And what are they teaching? And you talk about the, the heresy of Hymenaeus and Philetus that said the resurrection already happened, or the Corinthians think that there is no body to Jesus at his resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. Like, so what is a Christian, broadly speaking, someone who says they follow Christ? And when I say Christ, specifically Jesus. Now, that can be any definition of like what you think about Jesus, your theology, all of that, but that would be technically what I would say a Christian is. Orthodoxy wants to capitalize and monopolize the term and say, well, a Christian is truly someone who believes in this creed that we give you and tells you what to believe and how to believe, but so this really smart person in the chat who everyone should go subscribe to called Deep Drinks Podcast just asked, so is Jordan Peterson a Christian? <sighs> Dude, he's so <laughs> weird and different. <laughs> he's just um, very, I, I I don't know what to, I think he's, he. I think he definitely at the core is a Christian in some sense. It's some sense, no matter what. Um, but he also wants to act like he is above christianity by writing you've seen the recent video he did to the churches and like like he is this authority figure to muslims you know like bro who are you telling all these groups you know like what yeah. nation, you know it's just really I, a, I don't that's that's a tough one anyway um okay so i want to uh i want to end i normally end on two questions i'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a third one in there and the third one's a bit more serious and then there's a serious one and there's a joking one okay first one if someone is struggling with addiction, heroin addiction, or any type of addiction, um, what do you suggest is a good first general first step in, in getting help? Medical professional help. Okay. Medical professional help. Before you go to anything, yeah. go seek professionals, experts, scientists, doctors. Talk to them about a maintenance program. Because statistically speaking, there's a higher, you got to look at statistics. Um, yeah. Do not try it like I did it, abstinent. Um, do not, you know, it is so dangerous. Relapse is usually inevitable, statistically speaking. There are, just go talk to medical professionals. Do not play around and think, you know, I'm going to sit on my couch in my house and withdraw and make it. My brother recently went to rehab, again, mm. for relapsing. And uh, I'm so proud of him. Like he is getting help. He was kicking for like seven days and uh, and calling me. And I'd just sit there and wait with him. Sometimes he'd just call and I'd be on my computer editing a video. And he'd just be sitting there laying there. Uh, and finally he's like, <laughs> I, I'm done. I'm going into a facility. I'm like, good. Thank you. Go. <laughs> so yes, 100%. They can, they, they see things we don't. They know things we don't and they can help you. Thank you. That was, I'm so glad you said that. That's fantastic advice. I, I'm also a huge advocate for psych, psychologist. I think everyone should go to a psychologist. 
once in their life or some sort of therapy. I think everyone's got shit to deal with. And I think it's a lot easier than getting advice from your drunk friends. Although that's also important. Um, or getting advice from friends. Um, but I, but I'm a huge advocate for that kind of stuff. So last serious question. What, if anything, would change your mind? On the God God belief. God. God would change your mind. God would. That's it. And I've said this to Christians and I've said this all the time. The only way that you would convince me is if God did something to do so. It would take legit evidence from God. Like, And you go, well, what would that evidence be? Well, if he can make the universe based on this worldview and he does show up over and over in your text and he does things that are just unbelievable, I don't expect this to somehow convince other people. No. You asked what could convince me. Okay. What could convince me would be God somehow showing up. Let's just play the story. Here is... um, Here's Doubting Thomas, right? Thomas is in there, and I just don't believe it. I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe it. Okay. I'm a little beyond that in my skepticism, but okay. If he can convince Thomas that he rose from the dead, why can't God convince me? Mm. And I'm going to be honest with it. So if I end up having an experience, because I have had past experiences with hallucinating on drugs, I might be like, whoa, hold on. Is this true? Now, if God shows up, and was able to convince me, break beyond my skepticism and show me you're not hallucinating. Mm. Like was able to do so. Cause he, look, God supposedly knows, right? So God mm. would know how to convince me. Yeah. And, and like, that's the bottom line. But if, if with what I'm working with and everything that I've seen and experienced the way I am, I have no reason to think that the unicorn is going to come and prove its existence to me or the leprechaun is going to prove its existence to, to me. And I have no, I just don't see it happening. My mom believes that God's going to reveal himself to me one day. And she thinks literally going to reveal himself. Like God's going to actually appear to you and do all this stuff because she she knows I'm a skeptic. And it's like, that's what it would take. I hope that you can read into that some and understand what I'm trying to say. But I would question no. my own faculties. I hope I'd be skeptical and go, what was that? But I wouldn't want to say it's not true because experiencing these things it's difficult to just say, oh, that's nothing. No. I'm yeah. Not- no, they're, yeah. like they're real experiences. It's just whether or not they could, could like uh, line up with reality is another thing. Um, before I ask the last question and we wrap this interview, I wanted to tell everyone about something. Well, I want you to tell everyone about something you're going to be doing soon that I'm going to be your first motherfucking student to MVP academic course. Can you please tell everyone about that? So I'm, I'm starting a separate business that is going to be advertised with Myth Vision. I got the inspiration because Bart Ehrman's been doing a lot of courses lately. And I've been helping him getting affiliates, YouTubers, to kind of promote the courses and get people educated. But Bart Ehrman's one guy. He has one angle. He has one take. And I thought to myself, I could help a lot of academics who want to really educate the world. And they're hiding behind like Princeton or they're hiding behind Harvard or they're hiding behind Yale. And they're all over the place, Duke University, Chapel Hill, you name it. And they have all this knowledge, but you have to pay you know, $60,000 a year to go to this college to finally get a couple courses with them at best. No, we can put these in courses, organized, edited formats to teach people deep college level information on the topics, 
biblically related right now, but I'm also trying, and I've already contacted like Guts at Gibbon, Erica. I actually want to get her professors and others who are like well-known evolutionists to come on and teach courses with visuals and show why evolution is a fact. Like I want to do courses in science. I want to do courses in the Bible. I want to do courses in you name it. Are you going to teach the controversy with Ken Ham? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There is no fucking controversy. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. I, I do. I do want to, uh, I do want to, you know, start that up and I've already got three courses that we've already recorded and I'm editing and trying to put those together right now. And I'm trying to do more. So MVP courses, which is myth vision podcast courses, that's coming out. Um, we're gonna have a website launch where there's going to be courses for that. And then also I'm going to plan on starting another short myth vision clips, YouTube channel, because we have three and four hour live streams or three and four hour recordings sometimes. And there's like 10, 15 minute nuggets in these where I need to pull them out because people aren't going to watch all that and just let people watch the little powerful snippets. Mm. Um, Nidimus did point out though that PhD holder Kent Hoven would like to expose you on his for your scholarship. So um, fortunately, I'm, I'm it's your, your, your idea your idea is dead in the water because uh, people should just go down to Dinosaur Adventure Land and uh, get all the answers. So uh, um, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't have uh, not Kent Hoven here tonight. Unfortunately, but uh, he's a he's a guest of the show. Uh, last question um, before we end up. This is a fun one. If you could choose an afterlife. And it would instantly become true as soon as you chose it. What afterlife would you choose? Ooh, that's a good question. Cause I have gone on record wishing that it didn't end when we die. Um, I mean, I'm one of those atheists who's like, I would love for the party to not end, but I'm also not mm. going to psych myself out or try to pretend that something else is there. And I don't have that evidence. So um, life's been tough. Life has been really tough. I'm kind of tired, the journey so far. You know, I've kind of lived a long life in such a short period, all the struggling and stuff. So whatever it is, I hope it would be peaceful and relaxing. That's it. And not a thrill ride. Just something that would just be very chill and relaxing. Uh, remove boredom because that would be a problem. <laughs> I don't know. You can like this. I feel like we're creating a Sim video game here right now about heaven. Like, what do you want to create it? Well, if you could, if you could like choose a religion, like a, a mainstream religions afterlife. So like, would you go with reincarnation or would you go with like the, the typical heaven from a Christian perspective? Or would you go with like the ideas of like a new world, new Jerusalem, or would you go with like, bro, I could, they're all so phony in my opinion, but I just <laughs> don't buy it. I think at best people like with reincarnation will try to say, look at life, look at, look at nature. It's cyclical. It has like repetition patterns and stuff. So like, Oh, they try to they're, they're obviously, Yeah. Obviously there's as much evidence for all of them as they are for each other. But what I'm saying is if you could choose one and it would become true. Is there any of that spark you? Because I kind of think reincarnation would be fun, right? Like if you could just relive the journey, you know. I don't know. And what's cool? You, what's you cool about there is there is Buddhist there is Buddhist hell, right? But what's cool about their hell is it's only if you've fucked up in life and you've got to burn off your karma in the afterlife, and you right. it's temporary. You burn it off so you can then continue again, which is nice. That's a nice hell. It's a nicer, right? yeah. It's a nicer, <laughs> nicer hell, yeah. I mean, eternal that's oh, yeah i don't know man because there's different versions of all sorts of types of 
heaven. And, and Christians don't even know what it is. Like, what is heaven? What does it mean? Are you going to sit there like these figures we read in the book of Revelation, just bowing down? Holy, holy, holy mm-hmm. are the Lord God Almighty, like Ooh. forever and ever? Or are we going to actually yeah. get to like chill and be like, hey, man, on Wednesday, come over here, bro. We're going to have a blast. Oh, you're not going to be sick. Don't worry. Nobody's sick. No death, no diseases. And we can enjoy all the happy moments and our endorphins are always good and positive. And we have plenty of just everything, just right. That'd be awesome. Imagine all of the positive, amazing experiences that you can possibly think of and absolutely no repercussions, nothing negative, no illnesses, no sicknesses. Like everything is great. I think that's what they're trying to paint in Revelation. But like they're a little bit like we're going to bow down and be in front of Jesus <laughs> yeah. like forever and ever. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I like the Rick and Morty, like taking the goggles off and you're in like in an alien arcade and you're like, wow, that was a fun game. Like that, that would be cool, too. <laughs> but um, we'll end there. Thank you so much for coming on, Derek. Everyone, make sure you check out Derek's channel. Make sure you subscribe. We've got lots of amazing guests coming up and go check out Shannon's episodes. You're still in the chat. And I did need to finish, but I hope we could both hold up our glasses. I don't know if you've still got something in your glass. And we can both say at the same time your catchphrase. Ready? We are Myth Vision. Sweet. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next time.